Daniel chapter 6, the account of Daniel and the lion's den. Before we read, though, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, we know that Your Word never comes back to You empty. And though, Lord, we may be very familiar with this account, just show us the truths, the applications, the things that we can learn about You as we look into this familiar passage. God, that we might know more of who You are, that we might see how You're the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. And the God that even thousands of years ago, You used one man to lift up Your people, to instruct them, but also to witness of You to pagan kings that though they may have thought they were in control, God, that, that You were moving in all those events in history. God, bless our time as we look into this passage and just open our hearts, our minds, that we might see the truths, who You are, that we might see things in Daniel's life that we can emulate, that we can apply to our lives and, and behaviors and habits that he had that, that we should have also. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 6 probably begins in Daniel chapter 5, verse 31. Actually, I believe it does in the Hebrew Bible, but let's start reading there just um, just for context. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give, give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Darius the Mede had conquered the city of Babylon, the last holdout in the Babylonian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire takes over that second part of that great image that Nebuchadnezzar had, had seen, the, the silver chest and arms. Darius the Mede, it seems, is probably the ruler of the Babylonian portion of the Medo-Persian Empire, that empire that stretched from modern-day Turkey to India, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Syria, Israel, all of the, uh, the, the Middle East that, the, that under Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Persian, who we'll read about in verse 28, conquered Babylon and all the other uh, empires around, all the uh, including all of the nations that Babylon had already conquered. You recall from chapter five that the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar, who was co-regent, had thrown this great feast, and he saw the handwriting on the wall, the literal handwriting of God on the wall. And that very night, he was killed. 
and the Medes and Persians took over. Darius the Mede, um, many scholars debate who was he. Was that another name for, for Cyrus? It would seem from verse 28 that it's not. Unger and James Montgomery Boyce, others say that more than likely he's Ugbaru or Gubaru, a general of Cyrus who engineered the fall of Babylon, the city, and he was appointed king of Babylon by Cyrus. I think I would probably lean toward that direction of, of Darius being king over the Babylon Babylonian province within the greater Medo-Persian Empire. He's king. He's in charge. He sets up these satraps, governors, 120 of them through the kingdom. And then over those 120, he sets three high officials, one of whom is Daniel. Daniel, who is now well into his 80s, has been in, in Babylon since about 605 B.C. It's now 539 B.C. So 65, 66, close to 70 years that Daniel's been there. He hasn't retired, though we, we didn't see much of him from the middle of his life till the last day of the Babylonian Empire when he was called in, recommended by the Queen Mother to come in and tell Belshazzar what the handwriting on the wall meant. But now he's still active. Darius wants him as part of his, his government that he's setting up. In fact, he's done so well, and you might think, well, he's been there a long time. He's experienced. But it says that an excellent spirit was in him. God's spirit was in Daniel and caused him to prosper so much that the king is ready to make him set him up as the number two man over the whole kingdom. You would think that Darius isn't going to remove himself and leave Daniel in charge. So probably just his right-hand man, prime minister, if you will. So that's the, the, the context through which, in which this familiar account occurs. New kingdom, new king, new uh, provincial king at the least. But Daniel's still there, and Daniel's still functioning and, and working as the Lord puts him into <clears throat> higher and higher positions even. Verse 4, Then the high officials, this would be the other two, and the satraps, sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall, find, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with his God. So Daniel has been a successful, faithful servant, first to the Babylonian kings, now to this Darius the Mede. He's been distinguished. He's been promoted. It seems like 
these other high officials, administrators, commissioners, as well as those under them, the satraps are jealous of Daniel, maybe because their job was to make sure the king suffered no loss. Apparently Daniel was very good at that. Maybe they like for the king to suffer a little bit of loss every now and then. You know, is he going to miss this much grain or this much money? Uh, we'll just pad our pockets and Daniel wants no part of it. Daniel performs the work that's before him faithfully to his God and to the king. These officials, we could call them politicians, seems like they haven't changed much in 2,500 years, are jealous of him. They try to find fault. They can't. So they decide to create some fake news. They realize we can't find anything wrong with him except if we can connect it to the law of his God because he's so faithful in upholding that too. So then, verse 6, then again, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king. By agreement kind of makes you think of conspiracy. And they said to him, O king Darius, live forever. What else would they say? They always said, O king, live forever. Verse 7, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So these officials realize they can't fault Daniel unless they can get the king to come up with a new law, a law that's going to violate Daniel's conscience, in regard to, in relationship to the law of his God, meaning that thou shalt have no other gods before me. So the officials go into the king. They already know, not to get too far ahead, that Daniel is a man of prayer and prays only to the God of heaven. So they go into King Darius and they say, King you're a great king. You should come up with a law that nobody can pray to any god or petition any man for 30 days except for you. And if anybody does, they'll be thrown in the lion's den, knowing all the while that Daniel's not going to abide by the new law. King Darius, he's a new king. Sounds good to him. He hasn't thought it all out. Apparently, he's not realizing that Daniel is not there. But they, they convince him, they, as a matter of fact, they start off with a lie there in verse 7. All the high officials. Well, Daniel hadn't agreed to this. So King Darius signs this document. It's implemented and according to the custom and the law of the Medes and Persians. Once a law was, was enacted, signed, sealed, delivered, it couldn't be repealed. They have no constitutional amendment process. So, verse 10, 
When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till sundown to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Kind of like the way Daniel is writing this account. That he, he, I found myself underlining and circling the word then, 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 and then when. And then, then just the phrase, by agreement. They, they have planned this, this conspiracy out to the last detail. They know Daniel. They know what he's going to do. And they know how the king's going to react, that the king very much respects and loves Daniel. He's about to promote him to, to be over the whole kingdom. So they, they con Darius into signing this document that cannot be repealed, changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Verse 10, Daniel, he knows about it. Daniel does all of these things of, of his free will, we might say. He knew it was signed. Then he went to his house. He had the windows open in the upper chamber pointed toward Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Remember back in 1 Kings chapter 8, the dedication of the temple, and Solomon had, had prayed to the Lord, asking Him to, uh, to, to bless that, that temple, to inhabit that temple. And then he had instructed, he had, in, in his prayer was kind of instructions for the people. 1 Kings 8, 46. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of, of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of the, their enemies who carry them captive and pray to you toward their land, that's to Jerusalem, 
which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built in your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Daniel knows the, the word. He doesn't have the Bible like we have, but he, he's familiar with the, the, the writings of, the, of kings, maybe even chronicles, though Ezra's kind of writing chronicles at, at the time. But, but that Daniel is, knows this account of Solomon's prayer. And Solomon had instructed the, the, the nation of Israel to pray toward Jerusalem and, and, and other, at other times. Daniel 6 is a very good example of, of the benefits of using cross-reference in your Bible. There are references that uh, maybe we won't use all of them, but if you have time to, to, to do a more thorough study and, and look at the cross-references and see what Jeremiah is writing at the same time. Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 50 and 51, even Isaiah 150 some odd years before this references Cyrus the Great in Isaiah 44 and 45. We Ezra 1 talks about Cyrus sending Zerubbabel and Israelites back to rebuild the, the temple. Um, even Hebrews 11 is, has a reference to Daniel. So that is one minor application point of taking the time to look into, into cross-references. Okay, no charge for that little bit. So Daniel, he, hears, he knows this decree does not dissuade him or stop him. He goes to his house. Where was he before? Well, he was at work. Spurgeon points out that Daniel put effort into, Daniel didn't just pause at lunchtime or noontime to pray there at his desk or where he's working, but he goes back to his house. He puts some effort into it, going back to his prayer room, his window, open window pointed to the Jerusalem where he prayed three times a day. He got down on his knees. If you go back to 1 Kings 8, Solomon stood up at the time of the dedication of the, of the temple and he lifted his his hands and his eyes toward heavens, toward the heavens, and prayed. Here we find Daniel on his knees. <clears throat> Many times, in the, especially in the Old Testament, when the need was more dire, more serious, we find the children of God kneeling in prayer. So, what is our posture? You can, we can stand. We know we can pray driving, but but here, Daniel, this. 80-some-odd-year-old saint, prophet, believer in the Lord God, took the time to pray three times a day. And he would return to his own prayer room. He was dedicated. He had a special place. I think we can find application, things to glean just from this little bit of what Daniel, what we, we hear about Daniel here. He prayed three times a day. 
How many times a day do I pray? This wasn't just a quick, Lord, get me out of this mess prayer. What does He do? It says He gave thanks as He had previously done. When the men came in by agreement, verse 11, so this is part of their plan. They knew He would be there at noon. Like clockwork, He's praying. They come in. They find Him. What's He doing? Making petition and plea before His God. The NIV says He's asking God for help. Daniel, he's fixing to be promoted to the highest level, and he's asking God for help. We have to just appreciate his humbleness before God. He knew where his help came from. Jeremiah in chapter 29 had told the exiles to move to the city, build houses, build gardens, build vineyards, have children, but also pray for the nation that they might find favor, that you might find favor. So Daniel is not just praying for himself and his, and his fellow Israelites, but I believe he's praying for this new kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom. In essence, he's praying for his enemies. The conspirators find Daniel praying. They run to the king and they say, O king, they're in too much of a hurry though, it seems, to say, O king, live forever. They're in verse 12. They just say, O king, didn't you sign this? He's like, well, yeah, I remember. It was only yesterday I signed it. Maybe even that morning, who knows? Didn't you sign this injunction that whoever prayed or petitioned anybody any god or any man for 30 days would be cast in the lion's den? And he's like, yeah, you know I did. And the law of the Medes and Persians can't be revoked or changed. Then they answer, well, this Daniel, who, by the way, is one of the exiles from Judah, rather anti-Semitic, one of these Jewish exiles, he pays no attention to you or your injunction. He's making prayers to his God three times a day. Darius sees the problem. He sees through their, their uh, plot that they hooked him with. He knows Daniel. He appreciates Daniel. He loves Daniel. says, verse 14, when he heard these words, he was much distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He pulled out all the stops. He had every legal expert in the, in, in the city go through all the books. Find me some precedent for not throwing Daniel in the lion's den. They can't do it. Well, verse 15. These guys are... They're, they're, you can set your watch by these conspirators. Then these men came. How? By agreement. They got this all planned out. By agreement, they tell the king everybody wants to do this. By agreement, they go by Daniel's house and find him praying. By agreement, they go tell the king. And now by agreement, they go and tell him again. Hey, he prayed. You know the law. He's got to go in the lion's den. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, 
May your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the, line, to the den of lions. And he came near, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel be brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal domain people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Charles Spurgeon kind of outlines the, the chapter with Daniel's dilemma or difficulties. That's this new law. Daniel's decision, that's to obey God rather than man. And then Daniel's deliverance. The king had no choice but to throw Daniel in the lion's den, try as he may to come up with a reason not to. They throw Daniel in the lion's den. So what's going to be the... What are you going to write the most about? Okay, that's not a real good question. One would expect that the account of the events of the evening in the lion's den are going to be about Daniel. Daniel avoiding the lions, Daniel climbing up, kicking the lions, Daniel fighting off the lions, all, all, the, all, all about Daniel. But there's really not a word, maybe one word, about Daniel going through that night. But look how much is written about King Darius. They brought a stone, laid it over the hole in the, in the, in the opening of the mouth of the den, he sealed it with his ring, his signet. He said, then the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed from him. 
we often read of fasting and praying. It kind of makes you wonder if King Darius is praying to Daniel's God. No diversions, no food, no, no harem members, no wives, no girlfriends, and he can't sleep. He's just laying there all night long. So apparently the, the, um, the punishment, they throw you in the lion's den, you spend the night, they go over the next day and there's nothing left, so there's nothing to do. You don't have to spend three nights because you're not gonna, or 30 days or six months, you, one day, they throw you in and, and that's it. But King Darius knows that something about Daniel, but more so this Mede knows something about Daniel's God. He says, may your God who you serve continually, the living God whom you serve, deliver you from the lines. Darius spends his sleepless night, gets up early, says the break of day, he rose, he went in haste, he ran. He starts calling out to Daniel before he's even to the mouth of the cave, the, the lion's den, and, and he says, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God been able to preserve you, to save you? Can't decide if I think Darius was surprised when Daniel says, O king, live forever? Or did the king only expect to hear the growl of the lions? I think he wasn't totally surprised because he knows Daniel and he knows the God that Daniel serves. And sure enough, he gets there. Daniel, are you there? What happened? O king, live forever. I managed to fight off the lions. No, Daniel gives credit to God right away. Verse 22, my God sent his angel, shut the mouths of the lions. They hadn't harmed me. Why? Because I was blameless before him. And then kind of as a side note, and also before you, O king, I'd done no harm. That God protected him. But notice a, 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 another point, another thing we can glean from, from this. God didn't keep Daniel, prevent him from going through this difficulty. Much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he didn't keep them out of the fiery furnace. He brought them through it. God didn't keep Daniel from this difficulty of the lion's den. He brought him through it. He sent his angel. This may have been an angel. This could have been the angel of the Lord which we would take to be a pre-incarnate Christ, just says His angel. You can't really... You can decide either way, which way you want to go. Send His angel, shut the mouths of the lions. And Daniel had... There's nothing to, to tell. We find out the king couldn't sleep. He fasted. He didn't eat. He didn't, he, he didn't take any other diversions. Daniel, we don't really... He doesn't record what he did other than God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouths, and he wasn't harmed. So you wonder, did he, did he sleep? It's going to be dark in there. Or did he just talk to the angel? I'm kind of thinking maybe he spent the night conversing with the angel, talking about how great 
God is. Darius gets up early, he goes, gets him out. They pull him out, check him out. There's, there's not a scratch on him because he had trusted in his God. Then Darius realizes, I've been duped. These guys, they almost had me make a big mistake. Go get them, get their wives, get their kids. I mean, that's kind of hard for us to, I don't know, appreciate. That's probably not the best word. Understand, and they throw them in. It says before they reach the bottom, the lines overpower them, break their bones, eat them. It's like good night. Then Darius, notice he wants everybody to know. Does he believe in the God of Daniel? It would it would seem like he does. He sends out a decree to all the people, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree in all my domain. This is Babylon that he's in control of. Everybody is to tremble and fear the God of Daniel. Why? He's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And here we have another Gentile king who is proclaiming the greatness of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We certainly learn from Daniel and his and his habit or his prayer, his devotion to prayer, that he went three times a day to, to his place, that it took effort for an 80-year-old man to leave his business. Why can't I just pray here? This is what I do. I pray toward Jerusalem as Solomon had, had instructed us. Martin Luther said during the Reformation, I've got so much to do today, I can't possibly get through it with less than three hours of prayer. I don't know would we say so much to do today that I can't do it without three hours of prayer? I got so much to do this week that I can't do it without three hours of prayer? Okay, let's make it a month. Well, maybe a year. Daniel is certainly an example to us on being prayer warriors, faithful to, to prayer. What's he praying about? Remember back in verse... 10 and 11, he's giving thanks, praise to God. He's petitioning and pleading before God, not only for himself, Israelites, but also the now the Medes and the, and the Persians. What else can we glean? Let me read just some just some observations or highlights. Let's call it highlights from the 
from the passage. And you tell me who we're talking about. The rulers conspired against him. No fault was found in him. The moment at his moment moment of greatest trial, he turned to God in prayer. The local regional governor official did everything he could to save him, but had to sentence him to death. In that moment, he trusted in the God of heaven. Placed in the ground, sealed with the stone. Early in the morning, people went to the tomb and he was found alive. Okay, you figured it out. Daniel is a type of Christ in this story. He points us forward to Jesus Christ. Daniel was found alive. He died. Jesus was put into the tomb dead, but is alive and is alive forever. Daniel prayed a lot. Jesus prayed even more. And even now, according to the the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 has ascended and makes intercession on our behalf. As Daniel was making intercession for the Israelites, the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians, Jesus is making intercession for us. That though God may not lead us away from a difficulty or remove a trial or a difficulty that he will go through it with us and Christ is there at his side making intercession on our behalf. Father, we thank you for this passage. God, many of us probably know it from our childhood. Lord, just make it new in our hearts that we might seek to be like Daniel, men and women of prayer, that, that prayer is an important part of our day. That we would set aside a special time, maybe even a special place, to go to You in, in thanksgiving and in praise and in supplication, intercession, not only for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our relatives, but as in many cases, Daniel was praying for his enemies. God, that we would pray for, the, for, for those that knowing that they too were created in your image and that you have a great love for them. And in Christ's name I pray, amen.